my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Moss Show where we're talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. So you can make... Uh, context. You can have better context to what's going on in the world today. A lot of times you look at pieces of information and you just don't really understand them. And so we're trying to try to change that. And so, you know, I want to bring to you some ways, some different perspectives to look at things, some of the latest breaking news. And that's what we're going to look at right now. I got a lot of big stories that have dropped down this week that I'm going to cover, including what's going on with Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and stable coins. Um, big, big, big movements in the regulations that are coming, some big, heavy hands um, that are coming down, some new legislation pieces that have come down. Uh, we'll look at some of the uh, more of the FTX, uh, SBF drama, a lot of uh, drama happening there. I'm going to look at some of the uh, what I call the revolution files, which is uh, the world is changing right now, and it's being led by one catalyst, and it's all being centered around truth. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at the economy, uh, what's going to happen with the economy. And then I want to give you what I, uh, I'm i going to give you my 2023 outlooks and predictions. So I got a lot to cover. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Stick with me here. And so right off the bat, let's just start talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and stable coins and laws and all of that kind of stuff. And so what we've seen is that, you know, it's been a bad year for cryptocurrency. It's been a bad year for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is down, you know, 60, 65% from its peak back in November of 2021. So over a year of uh, downward uh, direction. It's been a tough year if you're a Bitcoiner, if you're, if you're a cryptocurrency advocate. But have we found the bottom? Now, I've been talking about the bottom for quite a while, very simply, very simply, markets stop going up when there's no more buyers. 
and markets stop going down when there's no more sellers. And so we're trying to find the point of when have we exhausted all the selling? And we looked through um, some telltale signs. I've been talking about um, where I believe we've kind of found that bottom. We've exhausted that selling for the last couple couple months. And I think it's right here around this kind of sixteen dollars to $18,000 price point. And we're continuing to see more and more and more details and more info that show that. And so this week we saw that it looks like the whales, whales are people that buy big amounts at a time, are starting to accumulate Bitcoin. So one thing that breaks Bitcoin out from every other financial asset is that it's an open source open ledger. And so we can see all of this data that we would normally see. And what we can see is, as I said, like Bitcoin seems to be locked into this like sixteen dollars to $18,000 price point, which is pretty amazing considering how much more bad news continues to come out. FTX went down, you know, billions of dollars are gone. Didn't seem to budge. Binance now could potentially go down. What about Grayscale? Bitcoin trust could break apart. What about Genesis going down? And none of this bad news can seems to push the price down anymore. As a matter of fact, the price has been so stable. Bitcoin is typically, people say, oh, Bitcoin is too volatile. And so it, it has been very volatile. But Bitcoin has um, been so stable that the volatility has been dropping. As a matter of fact, the annualized one-month realized volatility fell to a two-year low of 38%. I think we talked about that last week. But what we know is that Bitcoin is volatile, and so we shouldn't expect it to stay there for long. Which way will it go? Well, what we can see from the on-chain data is, like I said, these big accounts, these big wallets or, or whales are accumulating. As a matter of fact, uh, they've been accumulating a lot. We've seen large wallets have accumulated over 400,000 Bitcoin, almost $7 billion worth of Bitcoin at today's price. Um, since... Um, since Bitcoin hit uh, about that $18,000 level um, in November. And so they've been accumulating. They're buying that up. Now, the reason why that's important to understand is you're trying to find out where support and resistance is. Like I said, markets stop going down when there's no more sellers. And so the selling seems to have been exhausted. And now what we're seeing is massive amounts of buying at that level. So that, that creates support. All right, and so let me let me explain a little bit more. Over the last week, we saw these um, wallets just in the last week have experienced an inflow of over seventy thousand Bitcoin. Um, around one hundred and twenty thousand Bitcoin was accumulated at the sixteen thousand dollar level. And the reason why that's important to understand is that seems to be an area that's very very aggressively defended. So if the price dips down below seventeen thousand, lots of buying comes back out to keep it back up to that level. And the reason why that's important is that we would then maybe say, well, that's kind of set a floor. Maybe it can't drop down below because who's going to sell? The sellers have been exhausted, but we have lots of people that want to buy if it gets down to that price point. And so it looks like we might have found the bottom and things are turning around, uh, which is important for Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency space. Um, and like I said, it's been a tough year right? because of all of the, the chaos that's happened with the these, these big exchanges going down. And with these big exchanges like FTX, all the fraud, all the money that's been lost, uh, we have a lot of new regulations. Now, a lot of times, and I made a video talking about could FTX have been like some sort of a psyop, and a lot of times we can see that they may use these types of things um, to garner public support where the public is now begging, please give us regulations, we need you to protect us. And so um, we're keeping an eye on what's happening because these regulations are going to dramatically shift and change the face of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Now, 
We have uh, maybe one of the most pro-Bitcoin, pro-crypto U.S. senators, um, pa Senator Pat Toomey, is retiring. And so he's been a pro, he's been an advocate for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and now he's retiring. So that's a little bit of a bummer. We need as many supporters as we can in government. However, he's leaving us with a final gift. And that final gift is a, is a bill that, he, that he's introduced to guide um, stablecoin legislation next year. And he said, quote, I hope this framework lays the groundwork for my colleagues to pass legislation next year, safeguarding customer funds without inhibiting innovation. And so that's the thing. It's like you start putting laws into place on this brand new technology, and all of a sudden it starts to change the direction or limit the direction or limit the growth that it's potential. And so what he's saying is, look, we're hoping that this safeguards customers, but doesn't limit innovation. And so that's oh, that, that's the right approach. Now, I'm for no regulations. I think I should be free to protect myself. But if they're going to do something, they should try to do uh, as little as harm as possible, right? Um, how can we protect but without hurting it. And so that's where that's where he's, he's kind of been at. But what he's really been talking about is these stablecoin transactions. Um, the bill that he introduced would retain privacy for stablecoin transactions, of course, losing our privacy is the single greatest threat that we have. And so the, he, he, this bill retains privacy for that. It sets up the um, comptroller currency um, as a way to license companies issuing um, payments on stable coins. This is a big piece of innovation we're hoping to get where we could actually use stable coins for payment transactions, you know, in Starbucks or Wells, uh, St Starbucks or uh, McDonald's or whatever it may be. It also lets non-bank entities issue tokens. And it also clarifies um, that stable coin issuers that don't offer interest wouldn't have to worry about securities laws. It's a big piece, right? This is the, re this is the clarity that people are looking for. Um, and so that's, that's big. It would also require digital tokens to maintain a steady value by pegging to an asset such as the dollar. I'm sorry. It would require that digital tokens that do um, hold a steady value pegged to a, um, an asset like a dollar, they'd have to be fully backed by reserves. Oh, <laughs> what a great idea. So it's supposed to be a stable coin. It's supposed to be pegged one-to-one -to, -one to the dollar that I give you a dollar, you give me a token back. And at any point, I should give you the token, you give me my dollar back. So that means you should hold on to the dollar. So whenever I'm ready to get my dollar back, you give it to me. And that's what he's saying. And uh, wow, what, a, what an idea. What an innovation. Um, and his new legislation is pointedly meant to keep the Federal Reserve away from this sector. Now, this is a big thing, the danger of CBDCs. We've talked about this. And so this legislation is aimed to keep the Fed away from this sector um, in what he calls a um, potential conflict of interest if the Fed is authorized to create a digital dollar in the future because the Fed isn't legally, uh, constitutionally able to create money. That's up to the government. That's up to the treasury, the treasury. And so the Fed should not be able to make digital dollars. They don't make money. They don't make currency. The treasury does. And so this law prohibits them from doing that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about some of the latest breaking news happening in the in the uh, Bitcoin digital uh, cryptocurrency uh, market as we map out the decentralized revolution. I got a lot more to come. When I come back, I got to take a quick break. We're going to talk about some of the SBF, FTX drama, some of these big revolutions that are happening in uh, freedom of speech, that and more. I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. 
My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we're talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. Of course, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And the technology being Bitcoin and the decentralized uh, technology that's bringing us... And there's so much going on everywhere you look. Now, like I said, we're talking about the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing. One of the things that's rapidly changing, of course, as we look at it through politics and finance and technology together, is the way that uh, freedom of speech has been controlled and censored and managed and so forth. And this is a really big deal. Now, we've talked about the threat that central bank digital currencies pose because they censor our ability to communicate value, but with money. But censoring our speech, like on, on social media platforms, also censors our communication, but with words. Now, I believe that, uh, you know, the Bible says that truth self sets you free. I believe that the truth will always be found if we're able to have open, honest dialogue, intelligent dialogue. The truth is found. If somebody says something stupid, something kooky, something weird, some misinformation, so to speak, it's very quickly found out if we're allowed to have open dialogue about it, right? A lot of times I might see something being posted on Twitter and I'm like, ooh, that's so good. I didn't think about that. And then I go read the comments and I'm like, ooh, wait a minute. This guy's wrong because this is bright. Da, da, da. And so it's, it's, that, it's that conversation, it's that dialogue that allows us to understand what the truth is, not through censorship, not through having one voice telling us. That's the opposite. That's the opposite. And the reason why it's important is because in order for the, the centralization of the world, as I argue that the world has been swinging towards centralization and now swinging back towards decentralization, and in order to control the world and have that centralized power, you have to control the narrative. 
You have to control the speech. And so, of course, they've been trying to do that. Now, um, we have seen how the FBI and the government, it's now completely out in the open. They've been manipulating um, all social media platforms to make sure we don't see things they don't want us to see, make sure we only see things they do want us to see, and more importantly, that we only hear the narrative they want us to hear, and even more importantly, that we're not able to have dialogue, open and honest dialogue about these issues. Now, that doesn't promote, they, they say it's to protect democracy. Um, democracy, which is a funny word. First of all, the United States isn't a democracy. The, demo the United States is a republic. They want you to think it's a democracy because if they can get you to think it's a democracy, then they control it better. But it's not, it's a republic. However, if we just take democracy as it is, um, democracy is what mob rule, right? It's what the people want. And so uh, how do you know what the people want if the people aren't able to voice their opinion? And so when they say, we need to censor these platforms to save democracy, no. Democracy would be hearing what everybody has to say and what the majority of the people want. So you can't say, well, you know, uh, the majority uh, wants MAGA Republicans, and so that's a threat to our democracy. Well, no, if that's what the majority wants, that is the democracy. So it's just backwards. But we know that they've been actively censoring. And so finally, all these uh, Twitter files have been coming out. Elon Musk uh, bought Twitter. He said it's the most important platform in the world because that's the, the town square. That's where the conversations happen. He believes in the importance of free speech. Look, humans can speak. Animals can't. That's what separates us. Right? The, um, that's what separates. We should embrace that. We should all be speaking. And so he bought it. He's opened this up. And what he did is he went and pulled all the documents and he's been releasing them. We've covered some of this last week. And he get, he's been giving them some big name reporters. They can kind of release them and go through them. And what we saw is actual emails and actual text messages from the government to Twitter staff saying, shut these people down, censor these people, change these stories, kill these stories, promote these stories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this has been swirling around, swirling around, swirling around. Now, when they censor free speech, it leads to massive speculation. And no mainstream media outlets will cover this, except Fox has covered it some. Now, um, now, you know, whatever, speculations run wild, supposedly. Now there's all this, uh, you know, conspiracy. The FBI is trying to cover things up. And to stop that, the FBI decided to be transparent. The FBI decided to respond to the evidence from the Twitter files, suggesting that the FBI covered up the Hunter Biden laptop story and the FBI waged a disinformation campaign to persuade new news organizations and social media platforms and Twitter and Facebook and voters that the Hunter Biden laptop was a product of Russian hack and leak. Now, we have correspondence between FBI and Twitter showing all these examples of this stuff happening. So the FBI had to finally address it. And they said, you won't believe it. They said, it is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. That's what they said. But then they went on, but then they went on to say, uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not some big conspiracy. What are you guys talking about? This isn't a conspiracy. Of course we do this. We do it all the time. We intervene in all the platforms and, and give them all this information and ask them to change all this information, but we do it to protect them. We do it to protect the platforms because we don't want them spreading misinformation. We do it to protect the people. <laughs> so everyone's getting all worked up that the, that the, that the government and their um, intelligence communities are actively working against the constitutional rights of the people. Um, 
and they come out and say, yeah, you're right. We actually do that. We actually do. And so what? Um, it says here, quote, I'm going to read it directly from them. The correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than examples of our tradition, longstanding and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements, which involve numerous companies over multiple sectors and industries. <laughs> so basically, you think it's bad with Twitter. <laughs> we do it with everybody. You're worked up that we're actively subverting the will and working against the constitution of the people on Twitter? Well, <laughs> we got news for you. We do it with everybody, he said. They, they said here, in numerous companies over multiple sectors and industries. Continued, quote, as evidenced in the correspondence, the FBI provides critical information to the private sector in an effort to allow them to protect themselves and their customers. Um, so like um, actively lying, so they protect us by lying. Sort of like when Fauci said that uh, there, there's absolutely no reason to wear masks. They do absolutely nothing. And then later he went on to say that we need to wear masks. And he said, well, the reason why I lied before is I was just trying to protect the people because, you know, we were running short on supplies and I didn't want them to go buy up everything. So I lied, but it was for their best interest. That's basically what the FBI is saying. We do it, uh, again, um, in, in an effort to allow them to protect themselves. We lie to protect themselves insane and insane. So, um, yeah, it's not a conspiracy. They lie. Now, um, they want to tell you that this conspiracy theory as, as a way to discredit people, but there is such thing as conspiracy. As a matter of fact, there's laws against conspiracy. As a matter of fact, Sam Bankman Freed at FTX is charged with, I believe, six counts of conspiracy, which actually could see him serving life behind bars. But that's a whole other story. Uh, but just so you know, the, the, the freedom of speech is changing the world. We're starting to see all types of things coming out online um, that are going to reshape this world because the truth shall shed us free. And that's exactly what's happening. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing. And some of the ways it's changing is, of course, technology is allowing us to interact and share information that we weren't able to before. And that will reshape politics as well. I got a lot more to cover. I'm going to talk about the economy, what's going on there, and my predictions for next year. Don't go away. I'm going to be back with all that and more in a minute. Be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. 
Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing right before our very eyes through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And we're ripping through some of the latest breaking news this week that highlights it. It's the signposts that show us that we're getting closer to this inevitable outcome that's coming up. And we can see it, like I said, through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And I like to look at the convergence of those. And we have some big stories in politics and finance today. And that is one of the most egregious uh, bills that I've ever seen. Uh, Rand Paul calls it abomination. And I'm talking about this week, uh, something called the Omnibus Bill. Now, the Omnibus Bill is basically a hodgepodge where um, they just grab a whole bunch of crap, they stick it all together, and they try and cram it down um, so quick and so fast before anybody has any time to even take a look at it and even understand what it is, much less the American people talk about it and maybe have a chance to like discuss it and maybe talk to their represented elected representatives uh, so they could go make a proper vote, right? Uh, last I checked, the United States is a, is a republic where we elect representatives to go to Washington to represent our best interests. And so if those representatives are there to vote in our best interest, we should have a chance to voice what our interests are to them through phone calls and emails and letters and so forth. And so it would make sense that if they're going to pass some enormous, like the biggest bill ever, it makes sense that it should follow like a process that allows our representatives to read it and understand it and get the will of their people. But of course, that's not what they want. Of course, they want to subvert the will. Of course, they want to cram this through so they can get all of their uh, buddies paid and, and, and stuff their pockets full. And that's exactly what's happening. So that's what this omnibus bill is. It's an abomination. I want to I break it down a little bit for you. Uh, if you haven't heard, it's $1.7 trillion at a time when we've printed way too much money and inflation is way too high. Uh, we have way too much debt, $31 trillion of debt. Uh, we're, 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 we're adding another trillion dollars or so of debt per year. Uh, but what the heck? What's $1.7 trillion more? Now, to put this into perspective for you, um, that's more than double the amount of money that was needed to save the entire global financial system in 2008. The bill is over 4,000 pages, 4,100 pages long, and no one can read it for a couple of reasons. One, just to read it, you would have to read two pages per hour. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, two pages per minute, which is impossible to do. Um, and you'd have to do that for about 36 hours straight without taking a break. And if that wouldn't be hard enough already, the bill was delivered at 1.30 a.m. in the middle of the night and days before Christmas. So, yeah, 
Now, it's not like uh, they didn't know about it and they just got it done. No, no, no. This is supposed to be a bill that goes in every year. It's written in law. They were supposed to have it done in September. So if it's supposed to be done in September, why do they bring it in at 1.30 a.m., 4,000 pages uh, days before um, it goes, um, days before Christmas? And of course, <laughs> it's not a big surprise. It's because they want to cram this through without hearing the will of the people or having anybody have any ability to say anything about it. Now, luckily, we do have a few good people left in government who are like, this is insane, this is ridiculous, and there's no way we're passing this. There's no way. One of those is Rand Paul. Um, he's doing that. But of course, uh, the Democrats, they want to slam this through no matter what. As a matter of fact, uh, good old Schumer, he says that we have to get this through for the good of the American people. Now, is this for the good of the American people? I'm an American. I would rather it not go through. And I bet you that if everybody else found out what was in that bill, I bet you, I bet you, if you, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that are in there. I bet you 90%, I bet you 9 out of 10 Americans would not want this bill to go through if they knew what was in it. But they're trying to, they're trying to cram it through their throats now. We have this back and forth. Uh, the Republicans passed, uh, tried to, try to, trying to hold it up in something called Title 42. And now uh, the Democrats and Chuck Schumer are now trying to file this new kind of amendment to that to try to, to try to force it through. They're trying to, trying to, trying to get it through any way they can. And again, all of this days before Christmas. So let's let's talk about a couple things that are inside of there. Like I said, my guess is nine out of ten people would not want this to go through. Right off the bat, I don't want one point seven more one point seven trillion dollars or more debt added to the balance sheet that my kids and grandkids are going to have to pay. I don't want one one point seven trillion dollars adding more towards inflation and uh, lowering my cost of uh, living. I don't want that. Do you? And I would guess no, unless some of that money is going into your pocket, which. Probably none of it is. So let's take a look at some of this stuff. So uh, a couple things here that are just insane. First of all, of the $1.7 trillion, half of it, or more than half of it, $858 billion of it, goes to the Pentagon for more military spending, the industri military-industrial complex. Now, just in case you didn't know, uh, the U.S. military spends more money than the next 10 countries combined. Combined. So who are we at war with and what's the threat? Because we don't just spend more than the number two or more than the number three. We spend more than two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten combined. But yet we need to spend more. So $858 billion is going to go to the De Defense Department. Now, I can't tell you where that money is going to go because they don't even know. The Pentagon continues to lose trillions of dollars every single year. When I say lose, not like they spent more than they brought in. I mean lose as in they don't know where it goes. And of course, they don't know where it goes because it goes into all their pockets. And of course, they don't want to know. They, they've failed audit after audit after audit after audit. They said maybe they've never, they've never passed an audit. They said maybe they'd be able to pass an audit in five years from now. We'll see. So half of it, $858 billion goes to defense spending. We don't know where that goes. Some black box that just continues to make the military industrial complex bigger. Uh, but then we have $772 billion that goes to what's called discretionary spending. Now, the way discretionary spending works is you have your mandatory expenses like your house payment, your electricity bill, and your car payment. Discretionary is money you have left over if you want to go out to eat or buy some new clothes for your wife. Uh, discretionary. Now, when we have $31 trillion of debt and we are losing a trillion dollars a year, I don't think we have any room for discretionary spending. That doesn't stop them. $772 billion for that. Let's break some of this down. We got $400 million going to secure the borders of Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. What about the U.S. border? 
We have an invasion. Five million illegals have made it across the border, but we don't have any money to go spend uh, to secure our borders. As a matter of fact, uh, in that bill, it prohibits, expressly prohibits, funding from being used to improve U.S. border security. Uh, we have $1.4 billion going for membership into global multilateral organizations, including the UN. We're talking about like World Economic Forum. We're talking about non-government organizations. So we're paying $1.4 billion to global multilateral organizations. Probably don't need to do that. $575 million, half over half a billion dollars for, quote, family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity. So um, coal in the herd. Let's, let's kill some people, half a billion dollars for that. We got over half a billion dollars, $524 million for, uh, quote, structural racism focused NIH subdivision. We have $200 million going to Pakistan for gender equity, gender programs in Pakistan, $200 million. We don't have any discretionary spending. Why are we giving Pakistan $200 million for gender programs, no less? Uh, we added $15 million for vaccine industries. We're going to need that. $335 million to prepare for another influenza pandemic, including, of course, surveillance tools. Over half a billion, $535 million for a corporation for public broadcasting, NPR, or, you know, propaganda. Uh, we have another about $15 billion going to the intelligence community to increase their budgets for J6 specifically. We got uh, $286 million for Title X funding, which funds Planned Parenthood, so we can kill more babies. Uh, we have $750,000 going to a Los Angeles-based transgender group to inject more LGBTQ uh, um, education into elementary schools. We have another $8.6 million for the Pentagon for gender advisement programs. These are not things that I want, and I would imagine these are things that you don't want. But of course, I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on social media. You can hit me on Twitter, at OneMarkMoss, and let me know, or on Instagram, at OneMarkMoss, and let me know there as well. Otherwise, I'm going to cram this thing through here in Christmas before anybody has a chance to read it. All right. Now, uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I've got a lot more to cover when I come back, and I'm going to give you my outlooks and predictions for 2023. This is the part you don't want to miss. I'll be back with that more in a minute. Don't go away. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. 
In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the decentralized revolution like we talk about each and every week, of course, as we look at the changing world and what's happening so we can navigate this together. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Now, we've covered a lot of uh, big headlines this week. And now I want to end with uh, something that I'm calling my 2023 outlook and predictions. So lots of uncertainty, lots of uncertainty in the world, you know, What's going to happen politically and financially? Is the world going to break apart? Are we going to come together? Are we going to go to war with Russia? Are we going to go to war with China? What's going to happen to my retirement account and my house and uh, my cryptocurrency, my Bitcoin, et cetera, all those things? So let's talk about that. So the first thing that uh, should be apparent to you more than ever before, if it wasn't already, is that um, the, the Federal Reserve, the central bank, the Federal Reserve is in control of the markets. So when it comes to, you know, like I said, your retirement account, your cryptocurrency account, uh, your uh, house value, things like that, it should be abundantly clear that the Fed is in the driver's seat. And so we saw, you know, through 2020, uh, or trying to recover in 2020, the, the governments, they shut the um, economy down. And the Fed responded by pumping the economy full of money. When they did that, we saw asset prices go sky high. So a couple of things that we saw there that uh, you need to keep in mind to, move, to navigate this moving forward is that we went from a period really where the Fed was just trying to kind of manage monetary policy and interest rates to 2008, where they really tried to impact and move monetary policy um, using quantitative easing and things like that in 2008. But then what happened in 2020 is the Fed moved into a much more active role inside the economy. And as a matter of fact, not just an active role, and certainly not a reactive role like they were in 2008, but now they want to be the leading indicator, the leading role in the economy. And so there was a massive shift that happened in the last couple of years. And we saw Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, come in and say that, um, you know, we're not um, thinking about thinking about raising rates. He said that they would not raise rates for four years. And of course, that was two years ago. Um, they told us that inflation wasn't a problem. Inflation was transitory and all these things. And of course, they got caught off guard. And so in November of 2021, they announced that we have to start raising rates. And it's important to understand how this works, because as soon as they said they would start raising rates, risk assets, mostly stocks, tech stocks, et cetera, started selling off. Now, Bitcoin started selling off first. A couple of days later, the NASDAQ started selling off. A couple of months later, the S&P 500 started selling off. But everything has been declining since then. And all eyes are on the Fed. Now, just... I mean, five years ago, most people never even talked about the Fed or paid attention to the Fed. And now today, every time they go into a meeting, all eyes are watching the Fed to understand exactly what is coming next. Because as again, as I said, they're in the driver's seat. Now, they have extra, uh, external forces that obviously um, impact what they do. But we need to understand what's going to happen there first. So uh, if we want to know, will the stock market um, crash? Will it continue its bullish trend? 
Um, is the secular long-term trend broken and all the things, like I said, we have to kind of go back to the Fed. So the first thing we want to do is realize that we don't want to fight the Fed. We don't want to work against the Fed. So as long as the Fed wants to be hawkish and they want to continue raising rates and they want to continue to tell us that their goal is to crush demand, understand that their goal is to make you feel broke, we don't want to fight that. There's no reason why we need to catch falling knives. There's no reason why we need to try to time the exact bottom. I want to be patient. So I'm going to sit there and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until there's some clarity. I'm going to wait until the Fed eventually, like I said, the Fed has external forces that they have to manage. And eventually they will be forced to go back into an easing situation. And so we're going to just watch out for that. All right. Now, a lot of people keep thinking they're going to pivot. They're going to pivot. pivot. But like I said, Fed, uh, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, keeps saying, look, we're not going to. Now he says they're not going to lower rates for many years. Now, just like he said, they wouldn't raise them for a couple of years. I think eventually he, he will sooner than he wants to. Um, but for now, he won't. Another thing that I think is going to happen is um, at, I, I believe the world is going to continue to de decentralize. I believe supply chains are going to continue to break down because of that. The way that the world um, trades is changing. And the way that we move energy and other products is changing. Uh, we can see that we're re-onshoring a lot of manufacturing in the United States. Um, lots of bills have been passed by the Biden administration to really severely impact China. And so I believe that we're going to continue to see the world's kind of breaking apart. Everybody, instead of just-in-time supply chains, will be just-in-case. So they're going to start to manufacture and store more inventory. And all of these changes are going to be highly inflationary. And so we took jobs that paid, you know, 80000 in the U.S., and now we sent them overseas for 10000 And now those jobs have to come back. Um, and so that's going to be inflationary. And so the Fed has this goal of this 2% target of inflation, which, of course, they overshot and we ended up at 9% inflation. And they're trying to get it back down to 2%. I think we'll also see the Fed maybe come off of that goal or at least, um, at least agree that we don't need to get there right away. I think that we might see inflation four or five percent and just kind of being okay with that and that's because we're going to have to so uh, i believe that the inflation target of the fed will be higher i don't believe we'll get back down to the two percent i believe we'll be in that higher four or five percent range as uh, deglobalization de continues to push inflation higher that's going to have to be something that they're used to um and so those are, those are two big trends that I'm looking for. I think that, again, the Fed has these external forces that they have to deal with. And so eventually, even if they want to keep rates higher for a lot longer, eventually they're going to be forced to come off of that. But when? So I'm guessing, I'm, I'm sort of predicting that that probably happens in Q2, Q3 of next year. So I think things will probably get so bad, we can already see these signs starting to form um, through manufacturing, through consumer sentiment, uh, through debt levels, savings levels, etc., that I believe uh, the pain level is going to get so high, the economy will freeze up, which by the way, the Fed doesn't care. They want to make you broke. Um, they don't care about your retirement account or your house value. What they do care about, though, is they care about the liquidity in the financial system. And so we're starting to see liquidity dry up. You can see it in the bond markets. You can see it in the high-yield uh, corporate credit markets. Uh, you can see it in the treasury markets even. And so I believe that things could get to a point where it's so bad the Fed is forced to act uh, sometime next year, and they're forced to kind of get into this proverbial pivot. A pivot for me would be to go from a tightening to an easing. Not a pause, but but an actual pivot or a reversal. Uh, and maybe that happens towards the end of next year. And so I think that maybe we end up higher next year 
in stocks, in cryptocurrencies than we are now. Now, as far as real estate, I did a full video breaking down real estate and how there's no such thing as the market, but there's thousands of markets. Go to my main YouTube channel, just search Mark Moss to see my outlook on real estate. Uh, what we're seeing is some markets like Seattle, San Francisco are already crashing worse than they did in 2008, but other markets like in Miami or Tampa, they're actually still holding on and actually still going up. And so I expect to see that to continue in the real estate market. Go watch that video for that. What I would say overall for my, um, not my predictions, but how I'm going to manage this is I think back to a quote from Charlie Munger. He's Warren Buffett's partner. And he said that the big money is not made in the buying and the selling. It's made in the waiting. And so what that means to me is that I don't need to always be doing something. Investing should be boring. I want to be waiting for the right opportunity. So I'm okay being patient. I think patience is going to be the key for 2023. We want to wait for these things to develop. We want to wait for the Fed to start to change his mind. And I'm okay waiting, being patient. And then I'm going to look for the best opportunities. The best opportunities are going to be the early trends that I'm going to have to wait again for them to develop. I think gold, I think commodities. So gold, energy, you know, overall commodities, I think is going to be the trade for the next de for the rest of the decade, but it's going to take a while for that trend to develop. And so I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for that. And then I'm going to get into that. And I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for that to develop as well. So that's my plan for 2023. Hopefully that makes sense to you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show talking about the decentralized revolution. And that's some of my outlook for next year in financial markets and globally from a geopolitical level. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, hit me up on social media. Let me know what you think at one Mark Moss. And that's what I got. Thanks for listening. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.